And that's the real question. It's like, what are we going to turn this power towards? What are we going to turn the, these algorithms towards solving? You know, it's it's interesting you bring up something, which is, you know, are, are you almost, um, will organizations at some point need someone to manage the efficiency of AI? To your point, um, are we going to let AI kind of make us a little bit lazy in what we do every day? I mean, are, is there a KPI from you know my call center days? I, I have to sort of always come back to KPIs, right? Are, is is the innate sense of all these different tools and technologies that we're putting in place? Are they just going to make us lazy in our jobs? And is that? I mean, it's like Wally, right? Are we going to turn into that Disney movie Wally, right? Yeah. Um, or are we going to become more like Iron Men, where you know, or Iron Women, where you're, where, where you're kind of like learning from it and then making it better and making yourself better? All, yeah, all the time. you just mentioned pull-ups. I mean, I want to automate the heck out of that because I don't think I could do any. So, yeah, I mean, but imagine if you had AI that was supporting you to say the right amount of challenge with the right amount of recovery is this, and the right amount of effort because you could easily injure yourself if you're not doing it. But if it took a look at it and it could evaluate and say, here's exactly what you need to do. Here's how much assistance you need to do. Here's how much recovery you need, um, but it's tailored you know, to your body type. Maybe it could help a trainer do that and, and give you both the path to path of least resistance. So in a way it's lazy in that you're, you're creating the most effective workout structure to achieve that goal based on a complex set of decisions. Sure. Right. Yeah. And again, it's like, why? Why are we using AI in the first place? If it's not to make ourselves better, then what are we doing it for? If it's just to to automate everything where you don't have to make decisions, what kind of life is that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think part of it, um, Ed, today, and, and I read a statistic, I, I think 40% of the consumers today are, are Gen Zers, right? Mm-hmm. And a big part of, of the Gen Z, Z mindset is that immediate satisfaction, right? And, um, you know, communicating via text, expecting a response right away. Um, you know, I was joking with you guys before we got on the, on the podcast, I was ordering my lunch uh, via, you know, via an app. And I expected to be here in, in a few minutes, right? Where, um, you know, you order your groceries and your groceries are there in 10 minutes. You, um, you know, can stream basically any movie that you've seen. And I think just simplicity um, and combining that with just that need for immediate gratification, I think is a big part of it as well today. I mean, that's the direction that this whole industry is going is consumerism, is gratification. Um, and, and, and how do we turn that on its head? Because I don't think in the long run, people are finding deep satisfaction from that. And I think even Gen Zers are recognizing that and looking for different kinds of experiences, looking for different kinds of meaning. Um, looking for, you know, Gen Zers are also the ones that say, I want to make a positive impact sure. uh, on the world. Uh, I want to be, you know, part of something that is better than me. And, and, and I think that turns into how do I become better yeah. as well? And I think you can kind of turn on his head. It's when we get absorbed by these things that we want immediately and that we're not thinking about what, what or why we want these things that, that, that make that so. And, and obviously there's a huge economic factor because it's a lot easier to make money on the, on the instantaneous whims of things. <laughs> but, 
but it actually doesn't lead to long-term yeah, and, health and satisfaction. Right? You know, we discussed this, uh, I think, before the call as well, is a lot of the AI that you see today, even the automation that occurs from it, um, always tends to have some level of human support behind it or in front of it, right? So the automation is either being triggered or driven by uh, a human, or there's a level of exception processing and continual learning yeah. that's happening on the back end of, of the AI. That's absolutely true. That's all the way from AGI, which is the super intelligent things where there are parameters that are being defined um, by the programmers. And that's definitively true on the algorithmic or the you know basic AI complex calculation things where you're tasking it at, at a particular narrow set of problems. So, you know, at that, at that interface point, you know, both of the creation and the managing and direction, as well as the consumption of it, there, there, there's a human being on the other side of it, either operating it, consuming it, or direct, directing it. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. And, you know, it, it continues to be an area that, that we spend a lot of time on with our customers, because um, as organizations adopt these new technologies, you know, the difference with competition today is, it's not the store next to you or down the street that's your competition. It's anyone I can get access to on the internet. So as- yeah, I need to say there's an exception here too, because a friend of mine told me, and I need to go validate this, is they got AIs to talk to each other and the AIs started to create their own language where they're talking to each other in a way that only they could understand and then they turned it off. So, yeah, I, so I there, is, there, 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 there is a chance that AI is just going to talk to AI, right? <laughs> For AI's sake, that now, is, I, we need to go. We need to probably look that up because I, I just heard that doesn't sound too far fetched. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it's a little scary, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I mean, listen, I am. Um, I continue to have a, a very cautious optimism about AI and the things that it could do in our industry. I, um, you know, if we go full circle, just back to something as simple as the quality side, right? Where you know, historically organizations in the contact center space may be monitored one to 3% of the calls. That That's right. And today um, using AI and automation, you can, you can monitor hundred percent of the calls and then have your, your humans have your quality analysts really focus on the exceptions and the, the areas that fall out of the norm. Um, but still looking at hundred percent of the spectrum is just absolutely an amazing feat um, that, you know, Seriously, five to 10 years ago, you really just, this would be just a dream that somebody would have in the contact center space. Yeah, that was a dream I had like maybe five years ago. We were just looking at at, at files to see if we could see some sort of patterns. And you, you and I recognize it. If you have a QA team that's listening to calls at a real speed or even at 2x speed, they're only getting to one to 3% of all the total number of calls. So with this wider format, you could listen to a larger variety of them. You could trigger on certain things is what we were looking at and trying to say, hey, what are the areas that we can improve on these? And, and again, it, it, it also depends on how you implement it. So are you going to implement it in a way that, that imp and the way that you'd measure it is not just the number of defects or the number of, of QAs that you could catch is how can you improve it? And that, there you're talking about how you're still improving the human skill at delivering that, that message. And in the yeah. case where we're, we're, we're using the latest technology, it's like, can we do it in real time? 
And I'm sorry, it goes back to back to what you said at the beginning, right? It's about using the data, using the information to coach and drive that behavior that you're ultimately looking to uh, to improve. Yeah, we, we talked about it before. It's like you have to do it over and over again. If you're doing it over and over again with real-time feedback, it's it's like when you're driving a car, you're making these micro adjustments, but you're getting feedback from the wheel to go in a straight line. If you can get the, these feedback um, in a positive way as you're doing it and, and getting you know, closer and closer to it, then that skill, that agent gets better and better and better as they, as they deal with these scenarios within that. And hopefully the AI also gets better at, at, at helping train people to do a better job. Well, Ed, I mean, back to our original question. Um, you think um, AI will ever be able to replace that front end call center agent? I, I think it, it, it does in certain ways, you know, just like automation has re replaced um, uh, different manufacturing industries uh, in that you can become more effective at, at customer service or become more effective uh, at, at helping as many people as possible. Does it, does it replace it? No, because you're going to still need that, that um, human empathy, that human problem solving, that human capability, capability that may appear with artificial generalized intelligence, but re recognize that that's very expensive <laughs> to run. It requires, you know, a lot of computing power, a lot of power, like electricity, a lot of space. Um, and so there, there's things that are more effective, like complex problems and solutions that, that are used um, to, to, to handle these tasks. And then there's some things that a human being is just more equipped and probably more energy and cost efficient to use in those circumstances. So it's finding that balance. And, and, and again, the question is not how smart AI is gonna be, it's like, how smart are we gonna be at using it? Which is probably the bigger question. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, to some extent, and you know, I'm definitely not Gen Z, it's are, are people going to feel comfortable only having an option to speak to a computer, right? And I think people are more comfortable speaking to a computer than human beings. Yeah. Like especially in the Gen Z realm, where 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 they prefer text over over um, in person or conversations. So I mean, I think that's a scary thing. That's the more scary thing. Are we losing our ability to communicate together face to face? And that would be a, a negative impact of AI. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I continue with my, uh, I'll, I'll throw in my, my, my term here, cautious optimism of coexistence with the two. I, you know, there's, um, to your point, some great things that I think will come of it, some things that we have to be cautious of uh, as we continue to roll it out into, into the whole CX and, and contact center space. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and I think it's more than optimism or cautious optimism. It's as leaders in this industry, what are we going to decide how and how are we going to use AI to enhance both the, the experience of our customers and, and the experience of our employees to make them better, to, to create better results and, and more than optimism, like take that responsibility and, and, and make sure that you're asking those questions, not just turn them on to, to be lazier or for the instant gratification, but how are we making it better? How we make it better for, for everybody that's participating with those tools.
But thank you so much for uh, your thoughts today. It's been great. And, you know, it reminds me, actually, I'm, I'm working with a company um, that does AI automation for fast food drive-thrus. And um, uh, just amazing some of the things that they're doing. But reminds me of the question we, uh, we ask when we close out all of our podcasts. As in your travels around the world, um, um, share with us some of your favorite restaurants. You know, I think food is memory and I grew up in LA. So I'm going to give you three restaurants in that area that, that I love. Um, one is Green Street Restaurant in Pasadena. It's a hole in the wall place off the main Lake, Lake Avenue there. And they have this fantastic salad called a Diane salad. It's like a Asian chicken salad with sesame and, and, uh, and peanuts and, and shredded chicken. It's, it's the best. I've been eating there for 30 years and always order the Diane salad. Then in LA, there's another place called Din Tai Fung. Have you heard of that? They do these soup dumplings and they're amazing. And there's always lines going uh, at the time, you know, around the block, but now they have multiple locations. Uh, And now here in Texas, the the thing that I can enjoy is in and out. So there's a couple of locations here. So, you know, on Saturdays, I go through the drive-thru and enjoy in and out. So those are some of my favorite restaurants. Ah, that is awesome. Well, thanks again, Ed, and um, really appreciate your feedback. I know uh, we've had a chance to work together and um, just your ability to look at some of these business um, business situations and really just come up with some phenomenal ideas and ways to approach the challenges has just been uh, a great learning experience for me. Uh, so again, appreciate you uh, jumping on to the podcast today. It's my pleasure. It's so nice to spend time with you and Alicia, as always. Yeah, that's great. I, I, said, I said to Miguel, actually, I think it was you, Miguel. It's like, I always get like smarter after I talk to Ed. I always feel smarter after a conversation with him. So thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And uh, thank to, thanks to everybody for tuning in and listening to another episode of CX on Point. And Miguel, I guess we'll be doing this again soon. And Ed, come back and visit, please. Will do. Thank you so awesome. much. Thank you, everybody.